Okay, we're starting here on the Mishnah on Daf Kuf Chof Amud Aleph. The Mishnah says, and this is the question that uh, Ira, you had raised before about do you have to count how much food you're taking out? How do you make a determination about how much you're taking out of the house? And the Mishnah said before that you're only allowed to take out Shlosh Suudot. So this Mishnah addresses it and the Gemara goes into more detail, which is, Matzilin Sal Kikarot, you can save a basket that's full of bread. Even though there's a hundred sudot in the basket, because it's the same work. You're taking out the one basket. We don't ask you to throw out the extra bread. Just take out what's in the basket. It has shlosh sudot, but also has more than shlosh sudot. We allow you to take out pressed figs, even though the pressed figs together will suffice for more than three meals. Or a barrel of wine. Even though, again, the wine in the barrel will suffice for more than three meals, but to get your three meals, you still got to take out the barrel. We don't expect you to dump out the residual. You can take the whole thing out. You can say to other people, Come and save for yourselves. And if they're smart, they'll work out the details within the billing after Shabbat. To which areas are you allowed to save it? According to the Tanakhama, then it has to go into a chatzer that has an eruv to it, meaning that a place that you could otherwise carry into. Even if there is no eruv there, again, it's still a reshuta yachid min ha Torah, just meet the Rabbanan, there's an isur that we waive in this instance. And he can take out to there not only the food that he needs for the shlosh suyudot, but any other utensils that he will need for the remainder of Shabbat. He can wear whatever he can put on, as many pieces of clothing. And he can wrap himself up in as many items that he can wrap up. And he'll go out. Rabbi Yossi says he gets 18 pieces of clothing, articles of clothing, which the Gemara will list. He can go back in. Get dressed again and come back out. Seems that this is not modifying Rabbi Yossi, but rather the Tanakhama who says that you can wear as much as you want and wrap yourself as much as you want. You can come out, you can disrobe, and then go back in and do the same thing over again. As long as you're not carrying it out. you got to wear it, you got to put it on. You can say to other people, come and save with me, alongside of me. Now the Gemara is going to investigate this Mishnah. Didn't the first Mishnah in the parak say Gimel Sudot Vitulo? Three Sudot and more. Amravuna Lokashuk Tan Bivala Hatzil Vagan Bivala Kapel. Depends how you're going about this. When you're going to be Lahatzil, when you're going to save, as Rashi says that it's in Bisalechad, it's in one basket, then whatever's in the basket you can take out. Bivala Kapel, when you have to take numerous baskets and you have to gather them together, or you have to pull them all out or separately, then we say the maximum you're allowed to take out is Gimel Sudot. Gimel Sudot is the maximum amount of effort that we allow you to undertake in order to get out food if you have to do it multiple times or if you have to gather it. Our Mishnah here is speaking about in a case where for the same effort, you're going to get three Sudot, you're going to get more. There we allow you to take out as many as you want because you're not expending any extra effort to get out the additional Sudot. Balatzio. When he comes to save it, Matzilat Kulan, he can save whatever. He takes out that one basket, whatever's in it, he can take. He has to go and gather it together, or he has to take multiple trips. Over there, we say the limit or the maximum amount he can do is three sudot. Both cases, both the first mission and this mission are talking about a case where he has to gather the food. He's making multiple trips. Depends where he has to take it out to. But he has to simply take it out to this chatzer, or he has to take it out to a different chatzer. The chatzer acheret, we're going to limit to you to the three sudot. 
But as if he's taking it to his own chatzer, then we do not have that limitation. By Rav Huna Bred the Rav Yoshua Perash Talito Vikipel Veiniach Vikipel Veiniach Mai. If he spreads out, he takes that in a big blanket, a big sheet, and he throws stuff in it, in it and he folds it up, and then he takes more stuff in there and folds it up. My, what's the din here? Kibala Hatzil Dami. Is this the equivalent of Hatzil Dami? Because in the end, he's only going to carry out this one sheet. He can load up the sheet. Even though he's filling it or loading the sheet multiple times, his carrying whore is removal from the house as a single action, which is he's going to carry the sheet out with everything in it. Oh, Kibala Kapel Dami. Or do we say because he's bringing multiple items to put into the sheet, maybe that's already considered to be Le Kapel as if he's bringing out multiple baskets. Mara says, we can answer this, Rav says, because there was a mistake made by Rav Shizvi that caused Rav Chista to agree with him. So the statement by Rav Shizvi was, as long as he doesn't bring a utensil that holds more than three sudot. It sounds like it's lahatzil, and it's totally fine. What do you mean? How do we understand this? So the mistake was clearly that he said you only can bring a kli that is three sudot in it. Rava disagrees with that, because he said in the first place that that was a mistake, that Rav Shizvi was Doresh before Rav Chista, and Rav Chista acquiesced to that position. That's a mistake. The mistake we know is that he took a kli, only can carry three sudot. So that means that Rava believes that you can take even more than three sudot. The question, which the Gemara is going to ask now, is where did Rava come up with that? How does he know that it's the wrong answer? Similar of Nachman by Yitzchak the Rava, Maita What's the mistake here? Amalei Diktani, because we had in a Brayta that we quoted back on Kufiyut Zayin, Bavad Shaloyavikli Achervi Klodkli Achervi Yitzareif. You're not allowed to bring when the barrel wine broke on the roof. You're not allowed to bring Kalim and hold them up to catch the stream or to put them up on the roof to catch it. You can put one Kli down on the ground, and you're not allowed to bring additional Kalim in. Kli Achervu Dulo. The only thing that's restricted there is bringing in another utensil of a Bahumanu coming to buy a mud seal. But the utensil that you do put down in order to capture the wine can be as big as you want. There's no limitation on the size of the kli that you're using. The only thing we don't want you doing is using multiple kelim. So you see from here that there is no upper limit on the size of the kli, and therefore you can take in as kli the size of whatever size you want. So so too over here by the sheet or the talit, when he goes in there and he's dumping stuff into it, since in the end that's like a single kli, we don't worry about it, and he can take it out in that single kli, and it's kibala hatzil dummy. That's as if he's coming to save it, because he's only taking out in the end one kli. Now says, Why do they have to square up with him after Shabbat? He calls in the other people and says, Come, take whatever you want for yourselves, take fruit. Why do they have to come and square with him? He basically says, everything's free for the taking. And he allows people to go in there and take whatever they want. They have no responsibility to pay him. They have nothing that they owe him. These people are acting they're not going by the letter of the law. You're right. They are entitled to this. But they're being nice. And they're coming back to him and they're offering to give him his stuff back. Wait a minute. If they're really Hasidim, why are they taking money for their work or basically wages of Shabbat? It doesn't mean literally wages of Shabbat because they didn't work with the intention of getting paid. But... The point being that they're accepting payment. And as Rashi explains, that a chassid doesn't accept payment. A chassid is someone who gives up of his own money and is mivater, gives in. He doesn't ask anything for himself. So over here, if they were really chassidim, 
Not only would they return his items, they wouldn't charge him for the effort to help him out with it. We're not dealing with Hasidim anymore, we're dealing with Miknagdim. We're dealing with people who are just Yereshamayim. Yereshamayim are people who do things according to the letter of the law, people who act properly, but they're not necessarily giving up of their own money. They're not necessarily generous with their own money. He doesn't want to benefit from other people's efforts, and they don't want to work for nothing. So therefore they square out the pay that they should get for their efforts on his behalf. But it's really not pay for Shabbos because they never assumed they were going to get wages for their work. That's number one. And number two is they never agreed on getting paid for Shabbat. This is just after the fact that they're going to square it out. It's not even really wages. It's really paying for the items. So they come to some agreement where they know they got it all for free. So they can sell it for much less because the margin is very high since they have a zero-cost basis. They can have a high margin in terms of selling it back to him. They don't want to work for free. He doesn't want to take anything back for free. So they work out something where they everybody ends up happy. He gets his stuff back and they get some money. If they are smart and they realize that in this instance it's not called Shabbat, then they can square it out with him after Shabbat. They can straighten out the payment after Shabbat. Again, it's not Shkar Shabbat because this was not wages that were agreed upon. It's not something that he's obligated to pay. So that's not called Shkar Shabbat. To where do they say it? There are two parts of our Mishnah. And the first part of the Mishnah, it says, By the food, it says, you come and save whatever you want for yourselves. And the latter half of the Mishnah, it says, But the clothing, it says, come save with me. So in the first part of the mission, it sounds like he's mafkir everything. They take the food and they keep it. That's what we just saw that to settle the price afterwards. On the other hand, by the clothing, he comes and says, take it for me. Which means that he's not being mafkir, they're doing it on his behalf. So I'm right. By the first half of the Mishnah, when we're talking about eating, there's a limit to what he can eat on Shabbat. He's going to have three sudot. That's what he needs for Shabbat. In excess of that, he doesn't need. Therefore, to have them come and join in the effort to save the food, it has to be on their behalf, not on his behalf, because he doesn't need any more food. By clothing, he says, do it along with me. You can change your clothing as many times as you want on Shabbat. There's no limit to the number of pieces of clothing you wear, the number of times you change on Shabbat. And therefore, when you take out the clothing, it's not only the clothing that he has on himself that he wears out or he takes out, but also clothing that they bring out, he could change into later. So therefore there, you can ask them to make the effort on his behalf and not be mafir, the remainder of the clothing. And that's the difference in the Mishnah. The first half says, take it for yourselves, by the food, and by the clothing it says, take it on my behalf for me. He can wear stuff, then he can take it out, and then he disrobes, and goes back in. Puts on more clothing, takes it out, disrobes again. All day long, that's the position of Rabbi Meir, which is what we mentioned in the Mishnah. It seems to be that last piece of the Mishnah is not according to Rabbi Yossi, but rather according to the Tanakhama, Rabbi Meir. Rabbi can only take out 18 pieces of clothing. And these are these 18 articles of clothing. Maktoren. Maktoren we bumped into before, but that's like a cloak, an outer covering. Unkali, like an undershirt, an under tunic. Punda, hollow belt that they used to wear. Kalbus, 
is a linen tunic, or maybe even a sleeveless linen tunic. Vichalu can wear a shirt. Vafiliot, right? She has them as afilion, but this is some sort of cap or felt cap. Umalferet, right? She says the show. It's a type of turban that he can wear around his head. Ushnei sapargin, pair of trousers. Ushnei minalim, take out two shoes. Ushnei Anfiliot, a pair of socks. You can take out a pair of trousers, a pair of shoes, and a pair of socks. Ubet pargod, two probably breeches that he's taking out. Rashi calls them Ubelishon Ashkenaz in German. And he can put on the girdle that he wears around his loins. And the hat on his head. And the scarf around his neck. This is probably the early development of the tie. Which was something that they wore around their neck in order to wipe their mouth and to catch things that spilled from the meal. Some sort of scarf or really napkin handkerchief that they wore around their neck. So those are the 18 garments that one would, I assume, normally wear. Since they're normal items to wear, therefore that's what he's entitled to take out. Those 18 garments that would make them fully dressed. The next Mishnah. Rabbi Shimon Benanas Omer. Porsim or Shogdi Agabe Shida Teva Umigdal. Person can put a hide and he can spread it over these items. Now, the hide is considered to be moist, and it is, in a sense, fireproof. It would not catch fire. So he has a fire spreading around the house, and now he has these items, this shida, this box, this teva, the chest, or migdal, or trunk, and the fire spreading it. So what does he want to do? He wants to fireproof these items and stop the fire from spreading to them. He wants to throw around this kid's skin, which is a moist type of skin, and won't allow the fire to catch it. So in order to fireproof these items, he throws the hide over these items, and now they won't catch fire. If the fire goes there, it won't spread there, it'll extinguish, or it won't catch. So that he's allowed to do on Shabbat. So porsim or shel gedi agabe shida teva migdal shechaz ben etor mipnei shu mecharech. He's allowed to spread this hide of the kid over these items even once the fire is caught to them, because it only gets singed, it doesn't burn. He's not extinguishing the fire actively. What he's doing is preventing the fire from spreading. You're allowed to set up a barrier with any types of utensils. Whether they're full or they're empty. Meaning that even if they have water in them, create a fire line. You can create a fire line with these utensils. So that the leka won't pass that point. It'll stop the fire at that point. Yossi says you can't use new earthenware utensils that are full of water. Because they don't have the fortitude to stand up to the fire. And therefore they're going to burst. If they're going to burst, it's going to extinguish the fire. Because if they burst, all the water is going to come out of them and extinguish the fire. Since they're going to burst, they're going to put out the fire. So Rabbi does not allow you to do this. This is otherwise what's known as Gram Kibui. Causing extinguishment of the fire. So we know that they're going to burst. And since you know they're going to burst, you're not actively putting out the fire, but placing those Kalim, those earthenware utensils there, basically ensures that the fire will be put out as soon as the fire reaches them and causes them to break. Right, but you're not extinguishing the fire with the water. You're simply creating a barrier that will prevent the fire from passing through. You have the three stages. You have the first stage of the Mishnah is where the fire is already caught on the item. Over there, you can't extinguish the item. So what we do, we throw some fireproofing material on top of it, which basically denies the fire the ability to spread. Then you have the second case, which is we put up a barrier that doesn't extinguish the fire, but prevents the fire from moving beyond a certain point. You're not allowing it to gain fuel beyond that point. And then you have the third case in the Mishnah where 
Not only did you put up the fire line, but it's something that you know for sure is going to cause the water to come out and extinguish the fire because of the water that's inside of it. There, Rabbi Yossi says it's problematic, implying that the Tanakhama thinks that it's okay to do such a thing, that Gram Kiboy would be mutar. I'm Rabbi Yudam Rab, Talit, Shechaz Ba'or. You have a baguette, you have an article of clothing that the fire is caught it already. Mitzad but it's only on one side of it. You can soak it in water on the other side. Because again, you're not extinguishing the fire. You're just denying the fire the ability to move forward. You're denying it the fuel that it needs. If it extinguishes, that's fine. Is that really true? And if fire catches one side of a begot, then you can put it on, wrap yourself up in it. And if it goes out, it goes out. If it's done in a way that you're not doing anything unusual, you're simply putting on the article of clothing, and it extinguishes, that's fine. Same thing with the Sefer Torah, where the fire is quieted. You can open it up, read it. If you're rolling it and moving it around to read it, and it happens to go out the fire, that is fine. So now we have Rav Yehuda saying that you can put water, you can soak it in water. The Sefer does note here that the Rashbam says, Not so that you can put the water on the Talit, because we said the Begit Shriato... He keeps soaked. See, if you soak begging in water, you're laundering it. So it has to be that you put it near it. You do something that prevents the fire from spreading. You deny it the ability to spread. So that's Rabbi Yehuda's position. On the other hand, we have a brighter that says you can't do it in that active manner. You have to do it through putting it on, taking it off, putting it on, and taking it off. So how do we reconcile between them? Is No problem. He subscribes to a different Tano. That's our Mishnah. Rabbi Shimon ben says that you can take the Oragdi, you can take the hide of the kid, and put it on top of the furniture in order to stop the fire from spreading. Gemara says, wait a minute. Rabbi Shimon ben says you can use the hide, which is a fireproof material, because then the fire will not spread. But it doesn't extinguish the fire. We're differentiating here between denying the fire the ability to spread, denying it the fuel that it needs, versus the water, which they assume is extinguishing the fire, not just denying it the ability to spread. Gram kiboi miyamar. He allows you to, again, deny the fire the ability to spread, or to deny it the fuel, but not to gram kiboi, cause it to be extinguished when it hits the water. Uh, truthfully, the two are the same. You'd extinguish a fire by denying it the fuel or the oxygen that it needs to burn. Throwing the hide over the furniture over there is just denying it the oxygen that it needs to continue to burn. Or it lacks fuel to move forward because it's underneath this fireproof type of item. And that item will not catch fire. It will not fuel the fire. So it basically denies the fire to spread. Same thing with the water on the baguette. The water on the other half of the bag is not extinguishing the fire. It's simply denying the fire the ability to continue. By the case of the barrels, that's Gram Kibuay there, even though you're not actively extinguishing the fire, when the barrels explode, the water actively extinguishes the fire. That's not true by the case of throwing the hide over or soaking the baguette where the extinguishing is happening because it's denying the fire fuel or the ability to spread. So over here, that distinction isn't as fine, even though the Gemara still makes such a distinction. But it's clear here that the Gemara sees these as differentiated. That when it comes to water, that's extinguishment of the fire. When it comes to spreading the hide over the furniture, that's not extinguishing the fire, that's simply denying it its ability to continue. It's denying it fuel. Gemara says, even though Rabbi Shimon makes the statement about the hide in the Mishnah, who says that he thinks Gram Kibo is okay? It says, in. Mikdani Seifa, yes, that's what he thinks, because look at the Seifa. That we have Rabbi Yossi's statement in the second half of the Mishnah, which is that when you put in new earthenware utensils full of water, then you can't do that because they can't 
take the heat, vein mit bakin, they explode, umachabin et and then they extinguish the fire. Piklal, the Tanakama Shuri, which is what I mentioned before. It sounds like from that, that for Biosi is of that opinion, that the Tanakama thinks that it's mutar. Who's the Tanakama? It's Rabbi Shimonananas. He's the one who was in the beginning. So we see that Rabbi Shimonananas believes not only can you put on the fireproofing material, but you can also do gram kibui. And Rabbi Yudah Marab, when they made their statement about soaking the other half of the baguette, he's stating that within the opinion of Rabbi Shimonananas, according to the Tanakama. Tanabanan, near Shagabe Tavla. You have a candle on top of a table, on top of some sort of item that is holding it up. Now, what this near is, is interesting. Rashi says near dolek. It's a burning candle. It's a burning lamp. It's not simply that it's a lamp, but it's a burning lamp. On the other hand, both Rabinu Hananel and Tosafot seem to indicate here that we're talking about a case, the Lekeshem and Baner. The lamp is lit, but there remains no more fuel in the lamp. I mean, I heard the Tavla, you can shake this table or this item that's holding it up, and it can fall by itself. Vim Kavta, Kavta. If it extinguishes, it extinguishes. Right, so according to Rashi, that makes sense. It's a burning candle. What Tosfot and Rabbeinu Hanana want to avoid is that we worry about is that there's fuel in there. And we know from earlier in the Masechta that if you remove fuel from a candle, from a lamp, that's the equivalent of extinguishing the lamp. So if by shaking it the oil is going to spill out, that's like active extinguishment kibui of the lamp. So what they want to do is create a situation in which there's no more oil, there's no more fuel left in the, in the candle, and it's simply burning the wick or it's the last remnant of whatever is burning over here. We don't worry about it. So the Gemara sees, at least according to Tosafot and Rabbeinu Hanano, they see that if you separate the fuel from the fire, that's a problem of kibui. If the wick goes with the fire in it, then the fuel went with the fire, and that's not a problem. That's their understanding. So Amrei Debei Rabbi Anai, Loshana That's only true if you forgot it on the table. Alvo If you place it on there intentionally, Naseh Basis the Davar Asur. It's very important in in terms of Basis the Davar Asur. That if you forget items, for instance, you forget something that's muksa on your bed. If you did not intend to leave it on your bed, then the bed does not become a basis ledavar ha-asur. And you can be minayar. You can shake that muksa off, derech shinoi or derech agav, but the bed itself will remain mutar. On the other hand, if you intentionally leave something on your bed, then it's no longer just shake the muksa off and the bed's fine. The bed now becomes a basis ledavar ha-asur. So you have to be careful about these items. Again, when you forget... This happens often. People, I'm sure, forget muksa on their bed. Or they forget muksa on somewhere where they want to move the item around. Forgetting is not kovei the item as a buses of davrasur. On the other hand, if you normally leave things there, you have drawers, you have furniture in which you put items that are muksa, you store your wallet there, and you always store your wallet there, that's considered to be intentional. And then the drawer becomes a buses of asur. The furniture becomes a buses of asur because you intend to leave it here. So, so to over here, the lamp that you have on here, if you intentionally placed it here, and this is where you want it, then that item below, the tavla, becomes a busis ledavarasur, and then you can't shake it in order to have the lamp fall off of it, because it itself is muksa, you can't handle the muksa itself. And then if you're shocheach, if you forget the item on there, then the table or whatever it's sitting on is not muksa, because it's not a busis ledavarasur. In that case, you can shake it in order to move the muksa off it, because it's tiltu tiltu agav. It's not a direct movement of the muksa, it's a... Indirect movement of the muksa, which is mutar. Satana. Ner shachorei adelet. You have a lamp that is affixed behind the door. Poteach v'noel kedarko. You can open and close the door without any problem. Bim kavta, kavta. If it goes out, it goes out. Light alorav. 
Rav cursed anybody who did this. Amalei Ravina, the Rav Acha Brederova, Ramalei Rav Acha Brederova, the Ravashi, my time a light a la Rav. What was Rav's issue with having this lamp affixed to the back of the door? If it's because Rav holds like Rav Yehuda that there's a problem of Dover she'enu mitavein on Shabbat, er machloket, or in the Masechta between Rav Yehuda and Rav Shimon, Dover she'enu mitkavein. Rav Shimon says, mutar. Rav Yehuda says, patur of asur. So Rav's upset here because it's Dover she'enu mitkavein, and he holds like Rav Yehuda, he's silver like Rav Yehuda. Therefore he's saying, don't do this. That doesn't make so much sense, because Meshum de Rav silver like Rav Yehuda, v'tanak tani like Rav Shimon, just because Rav holds like Rav Yehuda, and this Tana is subscribing to the position of Shimon, Shimon the Rav Sever like Rav Yehuda, called Tani to Rav Shimon Milit Laidle, because Rav holds like Rav Yehuda. And then anybody who now subscribes to the position of Rav Shimon, Rav's going to curse? No, he knows that there's a difference of opinion. He happens to pass like Rav Yehuda. Doesn't mean that anybody holds like Rav Shimon needs to be cursed. This instance here, Rav Shimon agrees, This is an inevitable outcome of opening and closing the door. By opening and closing the door, you're for sure going to be Mavir or Mechabeh by opening and closing the door. As Tosafot points out, When you open and close the door, the lamp moves. And the oil moves further away or closer to the wick. What he's explaining here is that the problem that Rav has over here is not that when you open and close the door, we would think it'd blow out, that the air flow from opening and closing is going to blow out. That's not the issue. The issue here is is that the fuel inside of the lamp is going to shift when you open and close the door. And by doing that, it's going to cause the flame to diminish or it's going to cause the flame to increase depending on which way the oil is moving when you open and close the door. He doesn't want it to be the Ruach because that's the next case. The Gemara already discussed is the next case where we're talking about airflow or something like that extinguishing it. The problem here is this movement of the fuel inside of the lamp that causes it to burn better or to diminish the burning. And that, Rav says, is problematic. He says, even according to Rabbi Shimon, it says, Here, it's an inevitable outcome of you opening and closing the door. So therefore, it's Pasukreshi. Pasukreshi, even Rabbi Shimon agrees that that is a sewer. I'm Rabbi Yehuda. First, can open up a doorway, even though opposite the doorway is a fire. There is some sort of fire that's sitting there. Even on Shabbat. Light Allah Abayi. curse anybody who did this. What's the case here? If it's a normal wind that's coming through the door, then my time of the mandasar. Then why would you think it should be asur? Because if it's a ruach mitzuya, that's a normal wind that comes in and out. There's nothing unusual here. You're not causing any difference to the fire. Iberuach she'ena mitzuya. It's a case where it's an unusual wind. My time of the mandashari. What was the one who would allow this? You clear that you are bellowing the fire by opening up the door. It says no. The olam beruach mitzuya. It's a case of a normal wind when you open and close the door. It's a normal airflow that comes in and out. Marsaver Gazrinan, Abai believes that what goes there ought to a case where you have an unusual wind flow. Marsaver Gazrinan. And those that argue, I mean, the original statement by Rav Yehuda, he says, we're not goes there. Yes, if it was a Ruach Shein Mitsuya, for sure we would uh, say that it's a sore. But in a case of Ruach Mitsuya, I'm not going to be goes there ought to a case where there's unusual wind flow. Both Tosafot, and again, the Rabbeinu Hanano, both of them say here, Christians should be careful not open up a door opposite a midurah. Even in normal conditions. Abai cursed and Abai is a batra. 
talking about the statement made by Rav Yehuda, who's a second generation Amora, and then he's talking about Abay and Rav, who are considered to be the first generation of Batra. That anything from them onward, whenever we have Machlokot Amorim, we pass them like the Batra, is from that generation of Rava and Abaye. And Bahani Mili, that's only a case, Shemadurak that's when it's close to the door. So you have this issue, for instance, by thermostats. Thermostats that are set right opposite the door. That that could be a problem according to this Abaye. Every time you open up the door and a blast of cold wind comes in, yes, it's normal. It's normal course of things. It's not something that's unusual, nevertheless. Abai here is Gazer Otu, a case where you could actually make impact because of the unusual airflow that comes through. Therefore, one should be careful, if you have a choice, not to have the thermostat opposite the door, or you can put a cover on it so that the door doesn't affect it when you open up and close the door, that it doesn't affect the thermostat. Osin Michitza. So now the Gemara says, Lememra, the Rabbanan Savre Gram Kibui Mutar. Rabbi Yossi Savre Gram Kibui Asur. They have two opinions in the Mishnah. One opinion in the Mishnah says you can put out whatever fire line you want. We don't worry about it. Rabbi Yossi limits you to only items that will not break or that don't normally break. So here, from here, you see that Rabbi Yossi says Gram causing extinguishment of a fire is Asur. Whereas the Rabbanan believe that causing the extinguishment of a fire would be Mutar. When it says, Vaipa, Shma'in, and Lahu. We've heard the opposite in their opinions. Titanio of a bright. That's not literally the opposite. Rabban are opposite over here. Rabbi Yossi is actually the same as he is here. You're allowed to make a fire line with utensils that are empty or full, as long as they're not normally items that would break or blow up when fire hits them. What are utensils that you're allowed to use that don't normally break? It's metal. Metal is something that can handle the fire. So you can put metal kilim as your fire line because they're not going to break. You can even use these earthenware utensils from these areas because they were very strong, very good quality, and they would not break. Because they don't normally break. So we have to deal with two things. First of all, what do you want to suggest now? Flip their opinions in the Mishnah, then it would reconcile with the Braita. That's good for the Rabbanon. But for Rabbi Yossi, it wouldn't reconcile anymore. In our Mishnah, he would be saying, once you flip the opinion, that it's okay to use Kalim that break. Yet in the Braita we just brought, he says it's not okay. So what do we say now? Rabbi Yossi, the Braita, the Divrayim Tamar. I myself think you can use Kalim that break. But according to you, it says you can use only Kalim that don't break, don't limit it to metal. You should be able to use also these items. It says, Umi Can you really flip their opinions? Who is the author of the position that Gram Kibui is Asur? That is Rabbi Yossi. Don't flip the Mishnah. The Brighta, we made a mistake. We thought it was the opinion of the Rabbanan. Rather, the Brighta is entirely authored by Rabbi Yossi. Because Maxra. It's missing this little word that changes the whole meaning of the Mishnah. You're allowed to make a fire line with these utensils, full or empty, as long as they are utensils that don't normally break. What's an example of that? Here's the examples. Metallic kelim, as well as the earthenware utensils from these areas, which were very strong. Because Rabbi Yossi is the one who says, Yossi is giving a reason why these earthenware utensils are different than other utensils. Now the says, Okay, we solved that brighta. But the problem is that we have a different brighta. That brighta seems to indicate that the Rabbanan and Rabbi Yossi have the exact opposite opinion as to what they have in our Mishnah. That is, 
Shame Katuv Lo Al Bisaro. He happens to have the Shame Hashem written on his arm. Harzeh Lo Yirchotz Velo Yisoch Velo Yamod Mikomatinofet. He has a problem now. He cannot bathe any longer because if he bathes, he's mocheket Hashem. He erases the name of Hashem, which is an isur. He can't anoint himself with oil or put something under because that will erase the shame. He can't go and stand in a bathroom or a place that is inappropriate to have the shame Hashem because he has the shame Hashem on his body. He happens to have a situation in which he needs to go to the mikveh. He wraps a reed around it and goes down into the mikveh, which is the opinion of the Chachamim. You can go into the mikvah normally. He doesn't have to take any extraordinary actions. The thing he may not do is rub it so that it erases. If it happens by itself, that's fine. What he can't do is actively erase it. You see here is that the Chachamim believe, or at least that's what we're assuming now, the Gram Mechika is problematic. Cause erasure of the Shem Hashem is as problematic as erasing the Shem Hashem. Therefore, they make you cover it when you go into the mikveh. On the other hand, Rabbi Yossi says, go into the mikveh. That's only gram mechika. Gram mechika is fine, as long as you're not mishav sheif, as long as you don't actively erase it. Opinions seem to be exact opposite by mechika as that they have here by kibui. By kibui, Rabbi Yossi says, gram kibui asur. By mechika, he says, gram mechika mutar. And the Rabbana are just the opposite. By mechika, they say, gram mechika asur. By kibui, they say, gram kibui mutar. The din by Mechika is totally different. The Pesach says, This is the source for the Isur of Mechat Hashem, which is that you are supposed to erase or destroy all the Abad Zerah from that place. And then the Torah says, in the same breath, Don't do something similar to Hashem. You're allowed to wipe out the Abad Zerah, but you're not allowed to wipe out Hashem. Over there it says that you may not, Lotasun, uses the term, or the verb to do. So asiyah, active doing is problematic. But grama is shari. It's interesting, the Rebbeinu Hanan here talks about grama on Shabbat. He says that the Gemara here had a havamina of lotasun kein l'ashem alokeichem. Asiyah hu asur grama shari. Asiyah is asur and then grama shari. So the Rebbeinu Hanan thinks at this point the havamina of the Gemara is that by gram mechiga you would be patur. By, by gram iboy it would be asur. And that's because Rebbeinu the shari gram mechiga tashem mishum da'amar l'chohatam asiyah asur grama shari. Bishabbat grama kmo melechet machshevet yiva asur. By grama and Shabbat they were oser. Grama is like melechet machshevet. You want the outcome to happen. And even though you're not directing it actively, but because it's going to happen, it's similar to Melechet Machshevet. And so therefore, Melechet Machshevet, he will become a Chumrah. But you know in general that Melechet Machshevet, when it comes to the Yisrael Melechav Shabbat, is generally a Kula. We say you're Patur, or it's Mutar because of Melechet Machshevet. There's very rare occasions where Melechet Machshevet turns out to be a Chumrah. One of those cases is Bezorev Ruach Misayato, which is mentioned in the Gemara of Babakama. Winnowing, and the wind helps you. Since you want the wind to help you, there the Groma will be a sewer on Shabbat because it's Melechet Machshevet. What the Rabbeinu Hanano is doing is basically invoking that same principle over here, that Melechet Machshevet would make Groma more chamur on Shabbat than it is by Nezikin. Mara says, Yihachi, that's the case. What are you going to do by Shabbat? By Shabbat it says, Lo tasekomalacha. Asiyahudu asur gromo shori. How are you going to reconcile that with Shabbat? Shabbat uses the same verb in terms of the Easter Malacha. So it should also be only active performance is problematic. Gromo should be fine. My says, no. Mitoch shadam bahul al mimono. Isharit le atelik There's a difference by Shabbat. Eno chanami by mechika. We don't worry about it. We don't worry about gram mechika because asiyah is asur. True, by Shabbat we would feel the same way. Asiyah is problematic. Gromo is mutar. Why don't we allow you to do grum over here? Because, 
If we allow him to do it through Gram Kiboy, he's going to come to do Kiboy Bujamre. So Mar says, So now, we have a problem in the Rabbanan's position. In terms of Rabbi Yossi's position, I'll solve the problem. By Gram Kiboy, he says, Asur, because Adam Bahul al Mimono. By Gram Mechika, he says, Mutar, because there's no issue of Adam Bahul anymore by Gram Mechika, and therefore he permits it. According to the Rabbanan, we have a more difficult situation, which is, by Gram Kiboy, they say, Mutar. Even though Adam Bahula Mamano, they say Mutar. Also, over here, by Gram Mechika, they say Asur. How do you reconcile that position of the Rabbanan? So, Ma'atam Da'adam Ba'ulam Mamono, Shari, by the case of Gram Kibur, they say it's Mutar, even though you have the mitigating factor of that a person is Bahul, is worried about his money and might come to extinguish it. Over here, you don't think that certainly it shouldn't be a problem. There's no reason to not allow him to go into the mikvah straight. But this Well, let's understand the Rabbanan's opinion entirely. Does their opinion make sense at all? Hi, Gemi, Hechidami. What's the case that he puts this reed around his arm? If it's tight, Kavi Chatzitza, then the water doesn't get in, and it's not a good fila because he prevented the water from reaching his arm. If it's not tight, Ali Mayo, then the water gets in, and it's going to be Mochek the Shem Hashem, you haven't prevented anything. So it can't be that the reason that the Chachamim make you put on the reed here is because of Mechika, because it won't work. If it's efficacious at preventing the Mechika, it also prevents the Tvila. If it's not problematic for the Tvilah, then it's also not going to prevent the Mechika. So we don't understand the position of Chachamim. What about the ink itself? What about the writing itself of the Shem Hashem on the skin? You don't want it there. You're makbid on it. And you're going to a mikveh. That's a chatzitza. The ink on your arm is a chatzitza between you and the ma'im. It says, that's not a problem. Belacha. Talking about moist ink. Moist ink is not chutzitz. Titania webebreita, damba, abdiova, dvash, vachalaf. Your blood, ink. Honey, milk, yivishim. If they are dry, chutzitzim. Then they're a problem with chatzitza. Lachim, if they're moist. Alright, so we got to go to that problem. We still have the problem with the Chachamim. How do we understand their opinion? You got it all wrong. We have assumed until now the reason they want you to put the reed on top is because the problem of Mechikat Hashem. That's not the problem over here. I know Tamayo the Rabbana Kesavri also lamod bifnei Hashem Arum. Problem is that if you're going into the mikveh, you're naked. If you're naked and you have the Shem Hashem on your arm, then you're in an inappropriate place for the Shem Hashem. It's the equivalent of makomatin ofet. It's the equivalent of going into the bathroom. It's going to a place where you can't take the shem hashem because you're now naked with the shem hashem on you. Well, it says, wait, wait. That's the way you explain the chachamim. Bichal the Rabbi Yosi savar muter lamod bifnei hashem arum. Rabbi Yosi then is going to hold you, allowed to stand naked before shem hashem. What does he do about that problem? It says the manach yadayaloi covers it with his hand, puts his hand over the shem hashem. Rabbanu nami the manach yadayaloi. Why don't the Rabbanan have the same solution? Just put your hand on top of it. Sometimes he'll trip, or something will happen, and he'll have to release his hand from the Shem Hashem. So the Rabbi Yossi, is going to be faced with the same issue. If he trips, he's going to move his hand. No, the Gemara says no. If there's a ready available Gemi, read, then Ochanami. Everybody agrees, you put it on. Even Rabbi Yossi will agree, you put it on. Don't put it on tightly, so the water can get in there. It's not a problem with Chatzitza. It's not a problem with Gram Mechika, because we don't care about Gram Mechika. Everybody says Gram Mechika is Mutar. The only problem that we have is that it shouldn't be visible while you're naked. That we solve by covering it over with the Gemi. But that's only if the Gemi is readily available. What's the case here? Do you go and search for a Gemi? If it's not readily available, now you're going to have to leave and go find the Gemi. And it might cause you to postpone your Tvila until the next day in order to get the Gemi. Going to the Mikvah in the proper time is not a Mitzvah. 
Umadrina never give priority to getting the gemi, cover your arm, in order to prevent there being a problem of the shame bifnei arum. On the other hand, Rabbi Yossi, Salvar Tzvila Bizmana, Mitzvah, doing the Tzvila on time is important. We're not going to tell you to go find a gemi and postpone your tefillah to give up the mitzvah of doing the tefillah on time. Over there, we're going to say, put your hand over it and do the best that you can. So Rabbi Yossi has a dispensation because of tefillah bizmana mitzvah. He says, take the risk of going in with your hand on it. Chamim, who don't have tefillah bizmana mitzvah, they say, why take the risk? Just wait till tomorrow. You'll put on, you'll go to read tomorrow, you'll take care of it tomorrow. Besavar Rabbi Yossi, tefillah bizmana mitzvah. Does Rabbi Yossi really believe that tefillah on time is a mitzvah? Tanya, we have a beraita. Zav zava mitzorav mitzorat boel nida b'tamei meit tefilatam biyom. Zav zava mitzorav mitzorat boel nida b'tamei meit. Go to the mikvah during the daytime. They go on the seventh day of their Torah or mitzorav mitzorat on the seventh day after they've been cleared. Then on that seventh day they go to the mikvah so that when the sun sets on that day they will be to Horin. On the other hand, nida b'yoledet tefilatan balayla and nida in a Woman has given birth, they to go to the mikveh at night, because the nida is tmeah for the seven days period, straight for those seven days. Only after the seven days passed can she go to the mikveh, so that's at night. And Yoledit is the same thing. Yoledit is dam tmeah and adam tohrah are governed by the full 14 days or seven days, depending if it's a female or a male. She can only go to the mikveh after she's completed the full seven days or the full 14 days. Valkyrie, Tovel Valech Kolayom Kulo. Valkyrie, who has a seminal mission, person who has a seminal mission is only Tamei Tumat Yom, Tumat Erev. He has one day's worth of Tumat. And that means that even on the same day that he sees the Kerry, he can go to the Mikveh, and if the sun sets on him that day, he's Tahor already. So that means Kolayom Kulo is because anytime he goes to the Mikveh, it's going to help him out once the sun sets that day. Yossi Omer, Mina Minichol Amala, Eino Tzarich, that's the gifts that we have over here. From Mincha time and onwards, he doesn't have to go to the Mikveh. Now, the Breitah here is a Breitah from Masechet Yoma. It's a Breitah that's brought down with regards to Yom HaKippurim. And here we're discussing going to the Mikveh on Yom HaKippurim. So the first cases are, all these cases, Zav, Zavar, Mitzvah, Mitzvah, Bol, Nida. To make, they can go to the Mikveh on the day of Yom Kippur. Because even though Rechitza is a sur on Yom Kippur, Vilad Mitzvah is not a sur on Yom HaKippurim. The only type of bathing that's a sur on Yom Kippur is bathing for Hana. This is not bathing for Hana. This is done for the Mitzvah. So because you're doing it for the Mitzvah, it's permissible on Yom HaKippurim. That's true for all these people who go during the day as well as those that go for the night. If they were going the night before, the night of Yom Kippur, they're allowed to go to the mikveh then as well. Balkari, there's an Iser Midra Banan, for a Balkari to engage in Torah or Tzfilah. So because of that, he needs to go to the mikveh so that he can become Tahor in order to learn Torah to Daven on the remainder of Yom HaKippurim. So that's the Tanakhama's position that he can go to mikveh all day. Because we want to clear him up, allow him to have the hair of Shemesh. Because Tzfilah Bizmana is a mitzvah. That's what it seems like. Rabbi Yossi over there says, no, if a mincha namala, he doesn't need to daven anymore. So Rashi claims here that he daven mincha already. And ni'ila, ma'ariv, that's after sunset. He doesn't have to worry. He can go to the mikveh after nightfall, and he'll take care of it then. Rashi claims that he holds like Rav in the ila that ni'ila can be davened even at nightfall. Tosafot says that Rashi was a little too quick to draw the gun over here. The Gemara and Yoma says the reason is that he already davened the ila. Tosafot says he davened the ila already. Davened mincha, he davened the ila. Now he has the remainder of the day. He doesn't need to daven until Ma'ariv time. He can wait till after Yom Kippur to go to the mikveh. But what do you see from Rabbi Yossi's position over here? That Tevila Bizmana is not a mitzvah. If Tevila Bizmana was a mitzvah, 
mitzvah, he should have gone to the mikvah and Yom Kippur, despite the fact that he has nothing more to daven. Just because of Philip is man a mitzvah. The fact that he allows you to postpone it till after Yom Kippur shows you that Yosi believes that Philip is man is not a mitzvah. And that is in contradistinction to the Rabbi Yossi we just saw before, the way we're explaining Rabbi Yossi, that he thinks Tevila Bismana is a mitzvah. I says, that's not a problem. Hi, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda. That's not Rabbi Yossi. The standard Rabbi Yossi in the Gemara, who is Rabbi Yossi Bar Chalafta. That's not the Rabbi Yossi that we're talking about here. We're talking about Rabbi Yossi Bi Rabbi Yehuda. The Amar, Dayat Bilam Bachrona. This comes to another Gemara that we saw in Nida. This is a woman who goes away and she was pregnant. And then she comes back to us and she doesn't know what happened. She doesn't know if she miscarried, what she miscarried, what exactly transpired. When she comes back, we have a suffix. This woman could be Tamei Tumat Yoledet Nikeva. She could be Tamei Tumat Yoledet Zachar. She could also be Tamei Tumat Yoledet Nikeva Bizov. And she could also be Tamei Tumat Yoledet Zachar Bizov. So she has all these multiple outcomes about what really happened to her. Gemara Nida says that she has to go to the mikvah during the day and the night for about two weeks or three weeks. She has to go to the mikvah every day and every night in case that is the end of her tumat leida. In case that's the end of her tumat ziva. And she has to go every day. But why do you do that? Why do we force you to do that? Because we want Tvila Bizmana Mitzvah. Since Tvila Bizmana Mitzvah, we make her go to the Mikveh every day in case that's the end of the time period when she's Tmeyah. Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Yudah over there says, just go to the Mikveh at the end. Once you've cleared three weeks, then we know for sure she's completed Tumat Leida Beziva, Tumat Leida Nekeva Beziva, which would be the longest duration, two weeks of Tumat for the Nekeva, plus a week for the Ziva. Three weeks is the maximum amount of time that she can be Tmeyah. So if that's the maximum amount of time she can be Tmeyah, on the last day she should go to the Mikveh and she'll be fine. Why not go to the mikvah all the way along? It's obvious that Yosef Rabbi Yudah believes that Tefillah Bismana is not a mitzvah. Since Tefillah Bismana is not a mitzvah, therefore you just push it to the end and go once to become Torah. We don't worry about all these interim Tefillot. And Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Yudah will be that author of the position in the Brighter that we just brought from Yoma. Right, Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Yudah will also be similar to the Chachamim in our Brighter over here of Mechikat Hashem. Whereas Rabbi Yosef in that Brighter will hold that Tefillah Bismana is a mitzvah. Okay, we'll stop over here.